Good morning. And welcome back. We're really glad to see and got I've already run into multiple faces that are new faces for us today. And we're really thankful that you're here for Welcome Back Sunday. We have a, a special day unfolding for us and particularly a, a special potluck that we're going to enjoy together. We haven't had one of those in nearly 18 months. And we're looking forward to celebrating that kind of fellowship together. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Really thankful that you would join us today. I want to welcome those who are going to be joining us virtually as well. Thankful that you're taking the time to watch want to be sure that you're aware of a lot of things that are going on and particularly the best way to keep up with that is with our caring and sharing which there are hard copies in the foyer if you didn't get a hard copy you can go to our website www.ljchurch.org and get uh, download one there and also find a lot of other information so please take advantage of that want to be sure that you are ready to be uh, part of our, our time uh, of coming around uh, Jesus' table and the, celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, we continue to utilize the individual uh, communion sets, and they were available right there at the entrance. I hope you have one. Uh, if you don't, this is the time to get them because the Lord's Supper will happen before the sermon again this week. Also, we continue to practice contactless giving. You've been so incredibly supportive, and we're really, really thankful. Uh, again, you have the opportunity to put any kind of check or cash today in a box that it's the back, well marked, right in the middle of the foyer. Uh, but you also have online opportunities. There are several connections on our website. You can also just click the QR code. And if you're at home with us uh, virtually, feel free to click the QR code if you want to make gifts. Also, want to be sure and remind parents, uh, we will be having our kids' gift today as they head off to Praise Kids and Stage 2 and Limitless Kids and all those things. So you might want to be sure and have those ready. want to let you know and be sure and remind you that we are switching into June uh, this week, as you know. And June, our mission emphasis for June is going to be Impact Houston. Uh, Impact Houston is an inner city uh, ministry right here in downtown Houston. Uh, they have been highly affected by COVID, um, but they are about to kick back into uh, in-person stuff. And in fact, their VBS and their reading program are starting in July. So we thought it would be appropriate to talk about Impact Houston in June as they get ready to launch their, their programs. I particularly want you to mark June 27th down. June 27th is, is going to be a presentation uh, Dennis Yeager and a couple of other folks from Impact will be here during Bible class. Uh, be sure and be here at 9.30. You're going to be blessed by that. It's a good thing is going to be going on. So that's 9.30 on the 27th. 9.30 next Sunday, also a time that you don't want to miss. Uh, not just because we have the very best. There are no better children's classes that your children can be involved in. Somebody say amen to that because that, uh, we're really blessed by great teachers and good things going on. But during our adult combined class, I'm going to get an opportunity to talk to you about a mission trip that I took last February and got back at the beginning of March. What happened last February of 20, 2020? COVID hit. I got through the Dallas airport just before things really, really got nasty and have not had an opportunity to tell you about my trip to Buenos Aires, and I'm looking forward to doing that next Sunday. Again... 
Welcome back. We're really glad to have all of you here today. As we begin our time of worship today, I invite you to stand. We'll be reading from Psalm 130. Please stand together and remain standing for the opening song that will follow the reading of the psalm. I invite you to recite with me, if you would. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah, from the heavens praise his name, praise Jehovah in the highest, all his angels praise proclaim, all his hosts together praise him, sun and moon and stars on high, praise him all ye heavens. Bye. 
Good morning. Let us pray. Our mighty God, our creator, our savior, we come to you at this time and give you thanks, dear Heavenly Father, for allowing us to have this freedom, the blessing of gathering together and worshiping your holy name. We pray, dear God, that you help us to, <clears throat> to take in this, this lesson this morning and help us to apply it to our daily lives. Help us to learn to love people, to love you, dear God, and help us to be wise enough to always know that you are in control no matter what struggles we face. And we give you glory. We give you grace for all the good that you bring to us. We pray that you help us to be better leaders to those who surround us, but most importantly, allow us to be better followers of yours. We pray for guidance. We pray for strength through tough times. And we pray that you help us out in our daily lives and whatever we do. And all this, we pray in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, now I hope that Alan didn't jinx me because I'm going to be reading from my iPad. It is in airplane mode, though, so don't worry about it. And I'm going to be reading verses 
1 through 35 from John 13. So get ready. (laughs) Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany. I'm sorry, it just skipped the page. It skipped on me while I was sitting. <laughs> I hit my I hit the fast forward button. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Jesus, Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand. Now that I am doing, now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, because that is what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen. But this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Whoever welcomes my my messenger is welcoming me. And anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other, wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas has eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry 
and do what you are going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or to give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. As soon as Jesus... As Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man and to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Imagine Jesus walking into the room with his 12 disciples. And as as we all know, he, he's omnipotent. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew what was going to, to do the things. And yet, he didn't resent anyone. He didn't hate anyone. He didn't exclude anyone. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he washed Judas's feet. When Jesus prayed over his disciples, he prayed for Judas. When Jesus fed his disciples, he fed Jesus. Now, personally, and that's my favorite, I would, I think each of us would, knowing what Jesus knew, would have a hard time being civil to someone who was going to betray them in that fashion. And I, you know, as I thought about it, I said, how could he do that? How could he, how, did, how could he forgive Judas? How could he allow Judas to do these things to him and still treat him with love and respect? It made me pause and realize. I'm grateful that he did because I'm Judas. How many times have I done things or said things that betrayed Jesus' love and respect for the world. But Jesus did not step away from Judas, did not call him out. He loved him to the end. And that's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Savior that we have. Would you go with me to the Lord's prayer for, for the bread? Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we know that there have been many times when we have not met, not just our expectations, but surely yours, Father. And we know that in spite of our shortcomings, you love us, you protect us, you guide us, and you give us the direction to do the things that you would have us to do. Father, help us to always know that you are 
the one and only God, and that your love surpasses all things. We ask these things in Jesus' name. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Shall we pray for the blood again? Heavenly Father, we know that you, t you taught us to be cleansed, to be washed, and we know that it is your blood that washes away our sins. That in spite of all that we do, to move away from you, you invite us back. You allow us to serve you in the best way possible. We, you allow us to be forgiven of our sins. And through all of our many transgressions and insurrections, if you would call it, if you would have it called, you still love us, and you have prepared a place for us with your Father. Father, we thank you for everything that you have done for us. We thank you that you, Jesus, interceded for us, and that we have a place at the table in eternity. We ask your blessings on this church, in Jesus' name. A new command I give you, love one another. As I, love, as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Now we have a time to give back to the Lord. He's given us bountifully. He's given us beyond measure. And... Because of that, we have the opportunity to be generous and as, as we can be, to return to God a portion of those gifts that he has given to us so that we can continue the blessings of his message, not just within this congregation, but around in the communities that we live in, our nation, and in the world. Would you play, help join me in praying for the, for the gift? Father, we know that this gift is a token of our great appreciation for all that you have done for us. Father, help us to give graciously and freely and with, with love so that your works and your word will be presented throughout the world. May each 
May the blessing of the, that you place upon these, these gifts present the message to many so that they will know what we know, the love that you have for us, and that it is greater than anything that we could imagine. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Precious cornerstone, sure foundation, you are faithful to the end. We are waiting on you, Jesus. We believe your all to us. Let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the Holy 
I've heard it said that you should count your blessings, and I just want to let you know I do every Sunday morning, literally, but this this side of the church. Maybe Ronnie will let me count this side one day. I'll be reading from Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out, who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay him. For him and through him and him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil our good name. Come set our hearts ablaze with love. Our walk, our end, our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are 
Thank you, Randy. Thank you, um, George, for that reading. Uh, beautiful words, amen? Powerful words that kind of point us to uh, the inevitability of God. Uh, we oftentimes kind of try to put God in a little box and say, here's who and what God will do. And every time we do that, God will either kind of say, wait, your box is too small, you need to make room, or he will break something. He will break something to get out of our box. And George read those words so beautifully, I'm really thankful for it. It's a beautiful hymn. Uh, you, don't, you don't necessarily always kind of uh, credit Paul for being the songwriter that he is, but nearly in every, le every letter that he wrote, he is either quoting somebody else's song, which would be what he did here. He kind of compiled verses from Isaiah, Jeremiah, even from the book of Job. I don't know if you recognize the lines from Job in there. How great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. And then this very important point, how impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. As much as we work so hard to kind of try to explain everything that God does, God is beyond explanation, amen? We're never going to be able to put in human terms everything that God does. We're never going to be able to, to outline a, 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 a list of bullet points that will completely tell us everything about God. Instead, God is always going to be beyond us. He is going to be greater than our ways. The other thing as Paul unfolds these, these chapters right here, kind of transitioning, closing out his time of, of theory and of theology in this letter before uh, chapter 12 begins, which will be practice. And I need to just tell you now that we will be starting chapter 12 in the fall. We're going to take a little bit of break from Romans, and we're not going to be calling it celebrating God's good news. We're going to be calling it living God news. Anybody excited about living God's good news? And I hope that you will be. But there are two things in these chapters that he tries to consistently bring forward to us. He tries to consistently make sure that we don't forget. The first is expressed in this last phrase that George just read. The idea that God is bigger than anything that you want to say about him. If you try to say God acts only in this way, God will almost always act in a different way. If you all only say over here, God will only act this way, he will figure out a way to kind of change your mind. And the great joy of reading scripture is that it always is opening us up to some new perspective on what God is doing and how God goes about his work. The one thing that will never change about God is he wants us to be part of his kingdom. Amen? And that doesn't change. The second thing that is central to understanding verses 9 through 10, I want to read some scripture for you, is the, is the undeniability, the unnegotiability, the exact way in which Jesus fits in the absolute core and essential of who we are as God's people. Amen? We're going to pick up in verse 30, starting in chapter 9, and we'll be reading into the first few verses of chapter 10. I encourage you to read along with me. What then are we to say? Gentiles, who did not strive for, and again, when Paul uses this idea of righteousness, it isn't that he's saying that you're not trying to live the way God wanted you to, 
It is the idea that you didn't come to know God as just keeping righteous things. Instead, you came to know Jesus who changed your life and then you followed in God's righteousness. Gentiles who did not strive for righteousness but have attained it. That is, a righteousness through faith. But Israel, and again, that word Israel has a lot of flexibility just in these chapters, not not to mention the entire book. And here, Paul is particularly talking about the people who have adhered to, who follow the law of Moses, who have the Torah, who claim to have heredity back to Abraham. And particularly, Israel are the people that Paul has already identified and will consistently continue to identify as the folks who want to make themselves right through following a set of rules. But Israel, who did strive for the righteousness that is based on the law, did not succeed in fulfilling that law. Why not? Because they did not strive for it on the basis of faith, but as as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. And here Paul is simply reaching back. And it's, it's not that he has to come up with new information for them to understand. He particularly wants to point out, you have made yourself so zealous for God's law, for God's word, but you have missed what God's word has consistently tried to tell you. And so here he quotes from their greatest prophet, both from Isaiah, both in chapter 8, verse 14, and verse chapter 28, verse 16. See, I am laying in Zion with my people, would be a way to interpret that. See, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make people stumble, a rock that will make them fall. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I just want you to notice before we move on to the next section of scripture, the idea that God puts in Israel's life, in their story, in his story, something that's going to make it difficult. Again, remember my observation that anytime we put God in a box, God will either kind of nudge us and say, your box not big enough, or if we refuse to be nudged, he will break the box. And here we have a very specific reference to that idea. I'm going to put something in your story that's not going to be easy. I'm going to put something in your story that's going to cause you not to rely on yourself, but to rely on me and to trust me. And you will either trust me and believe in what seems impossible to believe in, or you will stumble. Now the neat thing is that when Isaiah said it, and let's... Pick a number somewhere six, seven, eight hundred years before Christ came. They didn't know exactly what that would look like. But make no mistakes, it still had to ring in their ears. God is going to do something in our story that's going to be beyond us, that is going to be more than we can just kind of grasp ourselves easily. We're going to have to depend on God. We're going to have to trust God. And yet when that moment came, when that moment when Christ came to earth, So often it was seemingly the people who had the most investment in God's words, like Isaiah 8 and Isaiah chapter 28, who didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. 
Let's continue in chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they can be saved. And when he says they, he means uh, the Jewish people. That all those of, of his kindred can be saved. And by the way, let's be sure and say, these are people who for the past, and you can kind of again sort of pick a number, 10, 15 years, for as long as Paul has been actively involved in the mission of Christ, these are the people who have made it their goal to destroy him and make life hard for him and punish him. He has been beaten, he has been flogged, he has been run out of town, he has been called a liar, he's been called a blasphemer by these exact people. Bill, I think your idea of Jesus washing Judas's feet becomes a paradigm for Paul who says, I'm not leaving those people behind. I don't care how they treat me. I don't care what they have done in the past. And maybe he even recognizes what they will do in the future. Paul, less so than Jesus. But he says, I still want them to be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God. But it is not enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. God's righteousness is the idea that Jesus is the only non-negotiable. Jesus is the only essential in the story of who we are as God's people. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Somebody please say amen to that great truth. There's so many things that when we read 9 through 11, we can get confused on. And we can head off and chase rabbits. And you may say, Alan, you chased all kinds of rabbits last week. Well, make no mistakes, that's not all the rabbits I could chase. So you can say, thank you, Alan, for not chasing every rabbit. Please? There you go. All right, good. But what we need to know that it always brings us back to the reality that God's answers are always going to be bigger than anything that we can completely understand. And secondly, that no matter how big God's answers are, there is one answer that never changes. And that answer is Jesus. And I am thankful that Jesus is mine and I'm thankful that Jesus is yours. And I'm hopeful that Jesus is for all of us. And if you're here in this place and you're kind of confused sometimes about as we proclaim the word and we, we bring it into its focus and where it comes from in the Bible, if you at any time miss it, make no mistakes, Jesus is the bottom line. And your response to him not only affects you today, but it affects the way your life will play out for all eternity. Paul develops an argument here. If this sounds a little bit like a rabbit, it'll just be a short one, so follow me with it. Paul develops an argument here that goes like this. First of all, Jesus came to the Jews. And when I say that, I don't just mean that he landed in Bethlehem. I mean that God had a plan in place all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, where he calls a man named Abram at that time, who you probably know more as Abraham. And he said, I am going to bless the whole world through you. And so it is that Jesus is born generations and generations 
more than a thousand years after Abraham, Jesus comes from his lineage. God has been working his salvation. God has been working his goodness, his gospel, through this people, these people connected to Abraham. He brought them out of Egypt. He sent them into exile and brought them back from exile, so not so that they could be so special, but so that the world might see this good God who loved them and wanted to bring them into his redemption. Amen? And so it was that Jesus came as a part of that Abraham story. But Jesus' part in the Abraham story not, was not just to be for the Jews, but instead Jesus was the promise to bless the entire world through Abraham. Jesus came to the Jews. But as you read the gospel stories, as you read Acts, if you were to read that, what you recognize is the Jews rejected Jesus. Over and over again, they misunderstand him. Over and over again, they, they seem to be more interested in holding on to their own power, and particularly, they seem to be more interested in defending their own box that they have put God in than stumbling over this stumbling stone that God told them was coming. They saw the miracles and wouldn't believe them. He rose from the dead and they didn't believe it. The Jews rejected Jesus. This rejection persists into Paul's day. And while, Jew, while Paul is concerned about Jews who have believed in Jesus but still hold on to the Jewish law as a way of being right with God rather than depending solely on Jesus, he is much more concerned about those who have truly said, Jesus is not the Messiah. Because in doing that, they separate themselves from God's story. In many ways, as I said last week, they are no longer part of Israel because they have rejected Israel's Messiah. Next, Paul makes the point, that Jewish rejections created an opportunity for Gentiles. I just want to be sure here, Paul is stepping into interpreting the cards that he has seen play out. He, is, he basically is saying, the more the Jews reject, the more the apostles went out into the world. The more that the Jews push Jesus out, the more they are exposed to you. And we could even kind of track the story and almost see that it, it seemed to take God really, really throwing the apostles out into the Gentile world before they got the point that that's exactly where he always intended them to be. Paul sees his own ministry as a result of that. Paul persecuted Christians for many years, killing some, arresting many. And yet, when Jesus intervened in his life, he no longer stumbled over that stone. Instead, began, became his great missionary. And he saw the way that Gentiles had more opportunity because the Jews had rejected Jesus. The final thing that seems to be involved in Paul's argument, you could debate about a lot if you wanted to. Because I think in many ways it is Paul saying, this is what I hope will happen. And I don't know that we necessarily have an answer to that. 
But I would also say that this fits into those who make an argument that somehow or another uh, God is going to, that statement, God will save all Israel, that Paul is predicting how that will happen. I fall on the side of Paul observing what takes place and hoping that in the same way the Jews rejected and it opened a door for the Gentiles, finally, Gentile acceptance of Jesus and their becoming part of faithful Israel will create an opportunity for a greater Jewish acceptance of Jesus. Paul believes that when the Spirit begins to fill Gentile lives, and when Jewish people see that God is working through, bringing His gospel, bringing His good news, bringing His redemption, bringing His love and His blessing to the world through Gentiles, they will no longer want to be excluded from that process. They know that God, the same God that they have read about in their Old Testament scriptures all their life. They know Him, and they want Him to be known by the world. And so, seeing His name becoming known among a people who are relatively ignorant about who He is, they will want to get on board and say, we want to be a part of what God is doing. It's a powerful argument. It is His great hope. I don't know how that story will fully unfold because... I believe in the same way that as Paul writes these letters, he seems to anticipate a very quick return of Christ. Oftentimes his language will be in my lifetime that he anticipates it. And that's not the way it unfolded. And in many ways I see these as similar kinds of words. I would hope that this would happen even in my lifetime. And maybe Paul saw himself as having this opportunity to be one of the main players in bringing a great number of Jews back into the kingdom. But it didn't play out that way in his lifetime. Paul develops a very powerful illustration in chapter 11 that speaks to us of how he sees this church, this Israel that God has created being made up both of faithful Jews and of these Gentiles. Read with me starting in verse 13 of chapter 11. Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. And he'll go back and forth throughout this book and addressing himself particularly to Gentiles or particularly to Jews. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I glory, I glorify my ministry in order to make my own people jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. And if the root is holy, then the branches are also holy. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you... A wild olive shoot. By the way, this is crazy language. You don't take a wild olive shoot and graft it into a, a, a cultured olive tree. But it has a purpose. Really glad, Van, that you're here today. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree. The rich root of the olive tree. 
do not boast over the branches. If you do boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. You will say, as a Gentile, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. What a terribly proud thing to say, conceited thing to say. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand only through your faith. So do not become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness towards you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And even those of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. I'm hoping that you're familiar with the idea of grafting. If you have any roses, if you have any fruit trees in your, in your garden, or if you've ever driven by possibly a, a fruit orchard, you see grafting at work. Grafting is where you have a root and you decide that you need an improved kind of tree to come off that root. Every single fruit tree, every single fruit tree in this part of the world is grown on a different kind of root. If it produces good fruit, it's because it's got a set of roots that can withstand the kind of moisture and, and, and the kind of conditions we have in our soil. But what's in the root doesn't produce the right kind of fruit. Roses are the same way. The ro roots that we have our beautiful, beautiful roses on are very different from what produces those beautiful flowers. It is instead intended to survive in the ground. It is relatively easy to cut stock of what you want. I have a beautiful, wonderful, uh, what's our favorite one, Van? Uh, the, the, the little bitty, the cutie, right? The cutie is our favorite one. And you want lots of cuties, and so you cut a little branch of cutie off, and you take another branch of something you don't like, like grapefruit. Somebody say amen. Wouldn't you ha rather have a cutie than a grapefruit? I would. And so you graft it in. You put the two together, and you seal them up. And the sap that comes from the root will flow through that branch and produce the kind of fruit that you want. Paul is talking about olive trees, and olives are radically different. You don't pick them one by one. Notice an olive will be harvested a whole tree at a time. If you've never seen it, it's really amazing. They have a machine. They put tarps or nets underneath it. They have a machine that shakes it, and they all just come rolling down. And it's great. In Italy, they build, do them on a hillside, and they'll have a network of nets that they have about three trucks and the whole hillside of olives will come down all through these nets into these three trucks. It's amazing how that works. It's very different than citrus or stone fruit and things like that. So when you are ready to change your tree from one type of olive to another, you cut the whole thing off. Everything goes. Because you're trying to create a new cultivar. You have an improved olive that you want to produce. 
And so a whole new crop of olives comes out of that old stump. If you have been to Europe, but particularly if you've been to the Middle East and you've seen olive trees, you recognize these enormous trunks and yet the branches that come from them are much smaller. It's because over thousands of years they've been grafted with different varieties because something we, we improve something and we want something different. A whole new crop comes out. What's crazy is the way Paul describes it is God doesn't cut the whole thing. There are certain branches that he breaks off because they're unfaithful, but he leaves some of them in there. And again, the language of the wild olive. Why in the world would you want a wild olive? You want a cultivated olive. But God wanted that wild olive. In fact, I think when we look at the way God has brought his kingdom together, it isn't just about one kind of wild olive, but it is about a myriad of wild olives. All people from all over the earth that he wants to be part of his root and connected to him. He grafts many and various. He grafts to his root any who will choose to hold on to Jesus. Amen? I want to encourage you to celebrate being grafted in. That requires you, first of all, to humbly recognize that God is greater than you are. And his answers will not always be all that terribly accessible to you. But we trust him because ultimately Jesus is the essential to our life. Being grafted in means that we secondly, steadfastly, are guarding against stumbling over Jesus by hard-heartedness. Jesus will always lead us into places that stretch our love further than we wanted it to be stretched. Amen? If you haven't experienced that in your life, then... then You've got some stretching ahead of you. And we can either say, man, if holding on to Jesus means I have to love those people, then I'm not sure what I'm going to do with Jesus. It's a really good way to get a branch broken off because that's exactly what the Jews who rejected Jesus said. I love God. I'm not sure what I can do with Jesus. Finally, to celebrate being grafted in, we need to be joining with the Spirit so that together, together, we produce the fruit that God wants. Amen? This is not what Paul is talking about, but I have to say very specifically on this Sunday that it has been amazing to watch the way people have been fruitful in myriad ways through this time of separation when, when things went sideways in a way that we had never thought about and, and never anticipated. But make no mistakes. There is a power in our togetherness. There is a power in our being gathered together in his name. There is a power in the way that our witness is intensified as a community, not just as individuals. So I'm glad you're here today. I hope that you'll continue to be here. But even more, it is my prayer that coming home, coming back, that having the opportunity to be involved in face-to-face engagement makes you think of somebody who also needs to know Jesus. God wants 
you to be part of him. That is a message for me. That is a message for you. And that is a message to everyone that you encounter. The question will be, how do we respond to being part of him? His invitation to know Jesus. We're going to sing a song and you're welcome to respond. And we would be glad to start any conversation you want to about this great truth that God wants you to be part of him. If you're online with us virtually, you can use the text that's there on the screen, 979-217-3300, and we'd be glad to start that conversation with you. Whether you come forward, whether you do something very specific today or not, I want to challenge you. Are you recognizing that Jesus wants you to be part of him and more and more part of him? And what are you doing about it? Won't you come as we stand and sing? Good morning to all. It's great to be here with you today. I would like to uh, thank every one of you for joining us uh, here in person, also online. Uh, so Alan mentioned it, and I kind of picked up on it, but the picture of the graft where it was bound up tightly, and that just struck me, uh, especially this morning, that a lot of a lot of the grafting process is a uh, is a very intimate physical relationship, and a lot of times we try to put that off. But a lot of being a church is an intimate physical relationship, and and joining together as a congregation is a way that that we can uh, successfully be a part of the vine and successfully produce the fruit that God wants. It's it's. It's not a rational exercise. It's not an individual exercise. It's an intimate physical relationship that uh, maybe we don't understand completely exactly how it works, uh, but it does work, and that's the way God has designed it. So, so thank you for being here this morning. We make each other stronger. We produce fruit for God that way. Uh, thank you also for your continued support of the church and all its ministries, including financially. Uh, there's not been a big disruption in this congregation in the ministries that we do as much as could have been over the past year and a half, and that's because everyone here has been very intentional about, about participating in ministry and participating in the financial part of the church as well. 
Thank you for that. Uh, there are a couple of caring and share, uh, in the caring and sharing, there's a couple of thank you notes. I want to point you to those. Uh, a note from Willie Brown and also a note from New York. You can find that in the caring and sharing. Uh, continuing today is the, uh, uh, for until Father's Day, which will be next Sunday, is the baby bottle boomerang. So I encourage everybody to, to participate in that. If you've already filled up one bottle, don't stop there. Go get another one. Uh, it, it will be put to good use. Also, remember to a uh, uh, way that you can get information about what's going on and stay current is the, uh, as the updates. So if you're not getting the text saying, watch the update, then contact somebody and we'll get you on that text list. And then when you get the text, watch the update and you'll get a lot of good information uh, and stay current about what's going on in the life of the church. Uh, as Alan mentioned, uh, you know, today's a special day. Uh, so... I mean, I really like eating, <laughs> and I really like eating good food, and I really like eating good food around good people, and, uh, you know, maybe been about a year and a half, and we haven't had our normal amount of that coming through, so it's kind of like a, a, when you break a fast, you know, that first meal back is special, and it's kind of like we're breaking a fast today, and back with that first, first, whatever you call it, I call it a potluck, dinner on the grounds, a welcome back Sunday, whatever you call it. It's, it's a joyous celebration, and it's a great day to be here. Uh, and, and so I, I haven't heard the details, but I'm assuming the details are just the same as they were a year and a half ago. The, the food is uh, set up down in D-Wing. Uh, we'll form a line here in the main aisle and work our way through there and go to the, over to the Fellowship Center and, and join in a meal together. And I'm assuming I'm supposed to offer a blessing for that as part of, as part of my shepherd's blessing. So I will do that. Uh, so if you would, join me now in prayer. Father, we want to thank you for bringing us here. Father, we thank you for your, for your wisdom that surpasses any understanding of us, Father, and the way that you have put things together and you move and you are active and, and you are accomplishing your purposes. And we thank you that as part of that, Father, that you have put this congregation right here in Lake Jackson and that you have put us in this congregation and that you have brought us together this morning and that your spirit is moving within each of us as individuals, but also as a bound up congregation that's here together, Father. And we just ask your blessing on us as a congregation that you would fill us to overflowing with that spirit that you would uh, strengthen us, that you would give us all the characteristics that you need to get your work done here. Father, that you would give us more meaningful work to do and that you would give us a spirit of enthusiasm to get about and do that work for you, Father. We just pray that uh, we'll be a witness and a glory to you, Father. Uh, Father, we want to lift up those in their congregation that can't be here with us this morning. Father, we just pray that... Uh, there would be a way back soon for, for anybody that has been having to stay away. Father, we pray for people that are physically uh, sick or not on their top game. Father, we know that you can heal and that you can strengthen and that you can bring peace and life, and we ask for that for each of those members. Father, also not just for people that are physically affected, but also, Father, if there are people that are uh, spiritually affected, uh, not on the top game right now. And Father, we just ask that, that there would be strengthening, that there would be uh, a filling of people with your spirit and that lives would be strengthened spiritually as well as physically. 
Uh, Father, show us as a congregation how we can how we can help each other and how we can make each other stronger. Father, we uh, want to thank you especially today for this food that's been prepared. And Father, uh, we ask that uh, we thank you for providing it for us. We thank you for providing for all our needs. Father, we ask that you would bless it to our nourishment. But Father, beyond the food, we ask that you would bless the meal, that you would bless the fellowship that we will have with each other, and that through the fellowship that spiritually we will be nourished and that we will be made stronger. Father, this is our prayer this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all be standing. Let's go fellowship and eat.